Welcome to episode two of the Practical Operations Podcast. We are your hosts, Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. Today we're going to talk about what happens in an environment when monitoring has gotten out of control. We're going to talk about monitoring and how you can turn the wall of red and the completely ignored spam lists of email into usable, actionable data that you can use to make everybody's lives better, especially the folks on call. Pretty much everywhere that I've worked, I have set up Nagios or a monitoring system, a network monitoring system of some form and run it for the organization every time. Sometimes this included coming in and taking apart an old one and replacing it. Sometimes it was augmenting an old system and sometimes it was, yeah, we don't have monitoring. We don't have anything. Can you get something on the network so we can know when things break and not when the users call us? But users are, mon are monitoring. Uh, one of the old standbys that a lot of people love to hate is Nagios, or Namion, as one of the recent forks is, or Isingo, which is actually they they picked the name because it's a hard, it's an impossible to pronounce African click language word, I believe, and I think they picked it just to be spiteful. But it is easy to configure incorrectly, and then. The pattern that most people get into, most administrators and other IT folk get into, is you have an email filter that says take all the, the email from Nagios and send it to a, to a folder, and then either automatically or every couple of weeks you come by, select all, mark as red. And that's it. So you have lots of events coming through saying, hey, this thing is broken, and we're like, yeah, we don't care about that, th that thing. And in the middle of the pile is all of the email and all of the alerts that are th saying things that, oh yeah, the main web server just died or the battery on the RAID controller has failed, or the UPS isn't working anymore, or every night at about 11 o'clock, the disks get to 95%. Maybe you should look at that. Every two weeks, this UPS power cycles, and its battery is toast, so it reboots the computers it's attached to. That was a that fun was a, one. That really was. That was that was in a standing meeting, wasn't it? That happened every two weeks. Yes, and it actually toasts... happened during the standing meeting. That was that was a special that was a special case. I liked that one. It only rebooted the uh, database server for the main network file system. Good test for DR. Those Solaris boxes are rock solid. And we had two more of them. Luckily, it wasn't nailing the primary. Anyway, true. So, how many places have I walked into, and? They know their email system works because the stream of Nagius emails is filling up people's inboxes. People have it filtered off into never, never land, never look at it, never pay any attention to it, and it's just useless noise that everybody has already learned to ignore. And gosh, that's a big problem. Or, or what, what about the places where the constant stream of emails are almost like a warm blanket? And the night that you don't get, you know, 50 emails, people are like, what's, what's wrong? It's almost the inverse. What broke? The email server's down. Or the Nagios server's down, or the network's down. Yes, Nagios is down, I know, because I'm not getting emails from it. And this is also, monitoring is also t often coupled with folks that have things like Tripwire set up. And with Tripwire, the, the usual case is somebody 
installs it on all their machines, and then does very basic configuration, if any, and then gets hundreds of emails a day or a week from all their systems saying, hey, this thing changed, hey, this thing changed. And they didn't bother to actually set things up. And that joins the rest of the email from the systems. It goes into some kind of spam folder or an operations folder or a systems folder. And it I've never gets looked Snort at. I've seen set up for uh, network intrusion detection as well. And it's also very difficult to set up and very easy to have it running in a corner and just sitting out a constant stream of alerts that are completely ignored, no one pays attention to, is useless uh, to your business value. Yeah, so I, I found it helpful to either if you are the new guy or if you have a new guy or gal, uh, that you immediately have them ask you, why are we getting this alert? And if, especially if it happens multiple times. Uh, and just sit there and describe, well, that one's because of this or that one's because of that. And actually try to fix them as they bring those questions up. Honestly, I think part of, it, part of the value for that exercise is saying out loud, we get that email because of X. And if you're embarrassed to say, we get that email because of X, There's it's time to go fix it. So my general approach, because I've done this a bunch of times, and I've helped other people do this a bunch of times. Brendan, is, this is your special curse. This is my special curse. I, I seem to be cursed with every professional job I've ever had. I've dealt with monitoring and either under or over alerting. And both are very real. You can have a network that is not monitored at all. So it's under monitored. And you can have networks that are wildly over monitored and you're getting hundreds of alerts a day, thousands of alerts a day that nobody ever reads. My least favorite Nagios plugin is called CheckMK. And I've seen places where there are literally 20,000 unacknowledged critical and warning state services. And people just don't deal with it. It's, it's, a, it's a useless wall of nothing. And Nagios is a wall of red. Well, the, it, that re-inventory is very scary. <laughs> this is with a re-inventory. This, this is somebody set it up and never bothered to finish setting it up. It's like when you see a lot of unknown alerts or unknown services, that's generally an indication that somebody didn't finish setting up SNMP or didn't finish setting up some piece of the puzzle. It, it's worse when people have totally abandoned it and just say, yeah, it's, it's all critical and we're just not gonna acknowledge it or deal with it or sort through it. Because what, what happens is you hide actual problems that you could prevent by doing this. So my first step is generally look for look for all of the pieces that you can pattern match visually very quickly. You say, oh, I got 500 emails last night about memory used, or I got 300 emails about a link going up and down. We probably can't do anything about that, and obviously nothing is broken in terms of taking the business down. We need to silence these. And by silence it, I don't mean suppress the notifications. I mean suppress the notifications and get them out of the system so people don't see them. And I would say there's a difference between metrics collection and metrics that you alert on. Uh, the memory is a good example where you wouldn't necessarily alert on a single box's memory usage or a single box's CPU usage. You would actually alert on whether a web application is not responding that is the result of that memory usage or CPU usage. And having the metric is important because it lets you diagnose things after the fact and figure out, oh, so this happened, we were memory starved or we were CPU limited or we were IO bound and that's what caused the outage. But what you care about the alert is we had an outage. 
or we were close to an outage that we can prevent, not that the memory was high. The next piece of this puzzle is looking for automated systems that either generate events in terms of email or other noise, or trigger conditions in the network or on the systems that cause alarms to fire. So classic cases are three o'clock, three o'clock in the morning local time, whatever local time for your server is, a lot of cleanup tasks start kicking off then. Also midnight rollover. Um, I want to say there's another group at 530 that I've seen configured in lots of distributions. So you'll have a lot of system events that kick off for disk cleaning or backups or replication tasks, and that will cause latency to spike, that will cause CPU to go up, that will cause other things to happen and have knock-on effects that take out other services or make them temporarily unavailable. And there's nothing worse than paging an administrator at three o'clock in the morning every night for two weeks. Because what happens is they stop listening to their pages. And then when something actually breaks, game over. So pager fatigue is, I think, two or three pages a day. And if your on-call gets more than that, he's most likely to start ignoring the pager. Yeah. And that's that's really key for um, to understand why you design your monitoring and alerting systems. And this is not to say that two or three pages a day when things are bad, or two or, th- or even ten pages a day when things are really bad. But if on average you're getting more than two or three pages a day, yeah, that, that's a cause for concern. And Brendan, you touched on some of my favorite topics of cron jobs and jobs that kick off at random hours of the night, do something to the system, and usually generate output in the form of email, and that usually gets forwarded to a, a root email list of some variety, which no doubt your operations folks call the root spam list. And that's really one of my uh, uh, pet peeves. So many people uh, don't use a simple cron wrapper to wrap their cron jobs. Uh, a simple tool, and there's lots of them out on the internet you can find, that wrap your cron job, uh, look at standard in and standard out, try to attempt to see if the job failed, and if the job failed, it sends email about the failure and what the outputs were. If the job was successful, it might log the outputs to disk or put them in a safe place where they can be recovered at some point later in time, but there's no sense to fill up anyone's inbox uh, with useless cron messages. And going through the nightly root spam and finding the causes of some of those things, which actually ends up uh, very closely tied to uh, noise in your Nagio server as well, and finding out the root causes of those things and getting those taken care of uh, are really are really much more important than a lot of people uh, uh, believe they are. A couple of jobs ago, one of the, the senior administrators was the god of email, for lack of a better term. And one of the things he was very vigilant about was if you started bombarding lists with crappy email, even if they weren't his lists, he would put a stop to it. He would find you and, tr- and hunt you down and teach you the error of your ways because he was in control of email and he wanted to make sure the email that the service stayed usable and readable by everybody. And there were situations where, of course, badly configured servers or groups of servers or labs of computers would send out thousands, tens and hundreds of thousands of email, and he would have to be able to deal with it and stop it and massage it. But also he wanted, he wanted the purity and the cleanliness of having a usable system. So he'd let you slide a day, maybe, or two with spam, 
and then he'd start coming coming down on you and say, "Hey, look, you, you got to clean this up. This is not this is not acceptable. And if you're not reading it, don't send it." And said email god really taught me that the email lists that your email based alerts go to, or your root spam, if I can use that horrible quote one more time, go to, those really shouldn't be filtered you should get to the point where those actually go to your inbox so you see them the first thing they come in. And if they're too much traffic that you can handle directly in your inbox and be able to keep an eye on, then then you've got work and cleanup to do. Yeah, I consider a successful level of systems emails is probably about 5% of your hosts send you an email, one email every night. So if you have a thousand machines, you get 50 emails. That's reasonable. That's a little high, but it's reasonable. You can go through that in five or 10 minutes and kind of see what happened and make sure that nothing was going on. Now, if it's the same host and the same emails every night, that's a different story. But the email serves a purpose. It, it, it lets you know the state of the job or something, something failed or exceptioned or happened out of ordinary, and you have to look at it and deal with it, and that's fine. But it can't be the same thing all the time. Well, and speaking about email and or about alerts, uh, I think it's really important to think about what happens when, especially if you're not in the cloud and you're on local iron, uh, how alerts are getting out if your internet is down, uh, especially using either SMS modem or use some sort of third-party tool to, one, send the alerts, and then two, also have some sort of dead man switch to alert you if it hasn't gotten a ping or notice that or heartbeat that your infrastructure is still up. There are two classic ways to handle that. The first is having an external service monitoring your external services. So you have Pingdom or one of the other providers and you, you give them a fair pile of money for, to pay for their uptime and their nines. And they will alert you and call your people when your website goes down or when their special port to get to your monitoring stack goes down. The other way is either have, out of, have a secondary internet link in your data center if you're running your own stuff. So if one link goes down, you still have the other because the chances of them both, both going down at the same time are very, very low, or having an out-of-band communication system entirely. Um, a couple of jobs ago, I set up serial um, RS-232 GSM modems on two of the Nagios hosts. So even if we had a total systems failure for the network, if regional went down, as long as the cell towers were still online, and the cell tower, the, the buildings were far enough apart that the cell towers would be on different, there'd actually be different cell towers, we would still get alerts about things. So... You do also need to realize that there is a bridge too far when it comes to this stuff, and there are diminishing returns. So you don't you don't hire Pingdom to check your stuff and then hire somebody to check Pingdom because you're throwing away money at that point. So once you've sorted out all of the the large categories of repetitive stuff, the, oh, log rotate is my favorite currently. Log rotate failed to back up the stuff because the, the, file, the permissions on these files were wrong or this directory didn't exist and whatever. You start getting into the, the harder stuff where you get one or two of them a night, but they're either intractable problems due to politics, you know, some so another person on the team or another person in the organization has built a system that is not optimal, but is doing doing a job that helps provide business value. And people are refusing to touch anything because they don't want to break it or they don't want to anger the powers that be. Or you have issues where it's really a it's a it's a problem that people are aware exists but haven't been able to root cause yet and 
having the, you can't shut the email off without stopping the service itself. And the service is technically running, but you're getting spam, spam about it every night. And those do build up and they accumulate and they're a very real sign of an issue. So I definitely want to ask what uh, you guys' uh, experience were in in finding time, finding uh, people resources to work on log use, to track down the things that are read that really shouldn't be, to clean up the, the root spam email and make it humanly parsable and, and a value to your company. The, those things get out of control so quickly, and it does take work to, to get those back under control and working well. Um, but once they are, uh, usually they're very useful and very easy to keep that way. But it's getting them that way in the first place. That, that can be very time-consuming. Yeah, I think the, the organization has to, to make it a priority either Damn. Uh, naturally, like someone says, hey, we need to make this a priority, or <laughs> when you have a major outage that you didn't catch, even though you have tons of alerts, you, you miss something, and someone's like, okay, we really need to reevaluate something here and actually go through and start fixing a lot of broken alerts or, or any alerts. Having been that guy who starts the process several times in my career of, okay, guys, we're having a conversation with the rest of the ops team about what we're going to do with all of the, the cruft, or do we really need this? I find one of the best things to do is get a list of the people who are responsible for services and get a list of the alerts and correlate the two and start bugging each of them individually and say, hey, this alert's going off. What is this? And often there'll be enough personal shame and embarrassment that people are like, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I should have had that one taken care of, that you can make pretty good progress on the bulk of them relatively quickly. And once you start making progress, I find that most of the people who suffer with on-call dive right in to help you. They will, they will make time in their schedules to help you out and to make things less bad for you because it's helping them directly. The number of folks I've worked with who are having trouble sleeping because of either alerts or fatigue of alerts and worrying they're missing an alert or whatever, when they see that you're starting to make actual progress, they they will find ways to make your life better and to, to free you up on other projects and to get you out of other meetings so you can get back to making their life less miserable at night. One other point to bring up from an earlier conversation about cron jobs that I forgot to mention. One of the things about cron jobs that's important with wrappers is having the cron job lock against itself running. So if you have a five minute job and it's running right now, if it's running long for some reason because of timeouts or because of other unexpected events, have it not run the next one, have it wait until the first one is finished. And then at the next five minute interval or whatever the interval is in cron, it kicks off and says, okay, well, I'm, I'm free to run because the lock file is not there. And a good cron job wrapper will also allow you to add in splay. So you update all your machines at 3.30 in the morning, but your machines have a sort of random offset so they don't completely melt down your update server all at the exact same time. Um, really icing on the cake here is figuring out you run a job that interacts with, say, an AWS resource, um, your route AWS is down, you're probably going to get several emails or several uh, job failures because of that one specific problem. 
the icing on the cake here is being able to recognize that in a in a scriptural fashion and send one alert send one email that I had this problem with an AWS resource and get your sysadmin's attention without filling up his inbox. This brings us to what you do after you've gotten the bleeding stopped. And you say, okay, we pulled the CPU alert out and we pulled the, mem the memory alert out and we pulled the network interface error alert out because they're not helping us. But we want to keep track of the load in the database servers somehow. Well, you don't know which database server is going to be master at the moment or which, which web server is handling whichever client. So you start looking into how do I monitor a tier of systems? How do I say, I want to look at all of, all of the web servers. And as long as nine of the 10 are within a certain load average, hey, we're fine. Don't alert. When more of them go off, send one alert. Don't send 50. And it says, hey, the web server tier is having high CPU load because that's, that's something that an administrator can look at and go, okay, this isn't a one-off. This isn't a single system or two systems that are having a problem. It's a whole group of machines. It's probably going to affect service, service availability relatively soon. So that's an appropriate alert for a CPU or a memory or a load kind of thing. Which is really something that Nagius does very poorly, unfortunately. Yeah. So I know that we uh, share some experience working with um, a monitoring project called Prometheus that is much more in that namespace. Um, I've written some um, craziness to try to get that information out of graphite and pipe that through Nagios, which works to some degree. Yeah, Prometheus approaches the monitoring problem from the metric standpoint. So everything is a metric you scrape off of a box or a process or a service or whatever. And you build correlations and data from that, and then you build alerts that trigger off of those correlations. So you say, if a host has been down for more than five minutes in this group of servers, send an alert. If any server has a standard deviation of load that is more than two standard deviations outside of the rest of the servers, send an alert about that server. Those, those kinds of things, because you can then get interesting and fine-grained metrics about services and tiers of services rather than just, oh, memory on this host is bad. Yeah, and you really start moving towards uh, event-based monitoring, which is something Nagios really doesn't do at all. And uh, another popular tool that, that is an event processing engine is, is Raymian, or Raymond. Uh, and that, uh, along with uh, Prometheus, is, is uh, something that handles those types of instances very well compared to something like Nagios. I've not looked at Reinman or whatever it is very much. How is it different from Prometheus? To be honest, I think the biggest difference is that it doesn't attempt to store, have any form of storage. It's really just an event processing engine, and that's it. So you would need to either pipe your the, the events that are coming into something else like Graphite or in FluxDB or some other storage engine, um, or split the stream higher up the chain, whatever sending the metrics sends it both to Graphite and to Raymond. Um, and then Raymond just works on the events and sends out an appropriate alert or triggers some other event. And sort of the real icing on the cake as, as folks scale into the future uh, and scale larger deployments, you'll end up with situations where 
you really don't care if you have a couple servers in your web tier that fail. You'll have systems that uh, that handle the failure, know that Node is unhealthy, no longer route traffic to it, and that's not a pageable or really actionable alert as far as your on-call folks are concerned. Uh, and you end up looking at um, if this percentage of, of web tier machines based on my incoming traffic, if that percentage doesn't match based from uh, a Prometheus or your metric monitoring system, then you actually have an actionable alert that's worth waking somebody up in the middle of the night rather than than waking people up needlessly. I've been in organizations that had two or three service checks per server. And I've been at organizations that had 60 per server. And somewhere in the middle is probably the right place to be, but definitely moving in the direction of tier-based and group-based and metric anomaly-based alerting is a much saner path to get you real alerts that actually need somebody to look at it in the middle of the night and actionable alerts that is something is broken, you can actually go fix this rather than something looks weird, I don't know what it is, you should wake up and investigate. And and one idea that I really love, I, I haven't had a chance to do this yet, but I'd, I'd love to implement it, is to, when an alert goes out, have whatever alerting system be able to look up your documentation for said service or host, and in the notification email, list out, you know, this is what you need to do for this instance, or this is a possible scenario for this, and actually have almost, uh, dare I say, a runbook in the notification email to help you triage the issue immediately instead of trying to go to a wiki or trying to go somewhere and click here and click there. You've got it all with the alert and possibly even attach graphs or other related information that will help, you know, especially if you're out and about and you're on your phone, you can just look at it and go, okay, I know what I need to do as soon as I VPN in or, or whatever. And if you can't provide a runbook in the alert for whatever reason, please provide a link to a wiki document, and a link to the place where you go to silence the alert. When you silence an alert, it lets everybody else know that somebody's working on it. Somebody, A human has acknowledged the fact that something is broken. So you don't have two people trying to work on it at the same time. If somebody else happened to be awake and see the alert or whatever it is, automated links to these things are crucial to the workflow being smooth and not having people get stepped on. They're really super helpful, as in one of the first features I implement. The I've been in, in situations where there are multiple sources of alerts, and as you transition to a saner uh, environment with, you know, uh, with the less wall of red, um, figuring out where alerts are coming from to get them taken care of is very important. So what are our favorite monitoring tools other than the love-hate relationship everybody has with Nagios. Ooh, ooh, me. Um, I like Nagios. Well, I like its forks. Maybe I'm more on the love side of that relationship. Um, I do a lot of stuff with graphite, um, and it's getting a little long in the tooth, but it has the ability to to take care of some uh, political issues as far as making sure we... Uh, keep data for 
extended retentions, which is one of the things I like, and it's normally quite simple and works well. Uh, one tool I love is, is Collectee. I, I consider it the Swiss Army tool for collecting metrics, and it has tons of plugins to shove those metrics into Graphite or uh, other me- uh, metrics collection systems as well as monitoring systems like Nagios or uh, Ramian or other, ish- or other systems. And it really is uh, almost the unified client, per se, for a lot of these systems. And I've been digging into Prometheus recently, and the more I dig into it, the more I like it. At first, I was thinking that it wasn't quite done with all the different pieces, and like their alert manager implementation has not been finished. But they've thought enough of it through properly that it makes it very easy to scale things up. And their their node collector process, for example, is written in Go, and it's so lightweight that I couldn't find it in the process list but when I was sorting by CPU usage or memory usage. So they've, they've taken care to not be stupid about the infrastructure that you need to run the system. It's not completely finished, but I'm really liking what I see so far. It took me a long time to get my head wrapped around Prometheus and how it works and what it can do and how it can uh, 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 give value to your business. But it's so well worth the study and figuring out how it actually works. Because it can really turn your monitoring world into something that's much more smoother, gives you so much more data and insight into your equipment and what's what's actually going on on the ground. Um, it's really, the more I work with it, the, the more impressed I've been with it. And I was very much in the camp of of not thinking this tool is finished seeing a lot of places where it it doesn't seem to actually fit or work well for large-scale environments. But actually, that's completely not the case. It's a pretty solid tool. And if you're a Java shop, they have a JMX exporter, so you can do whitelisting and blacklisting of JMX objects very easily and scrape them automatically into the system from which you can correlate against other things. It's pretty slick. I think that that about wraps up the initial episode about monitoring. How you handle the wall of red that you walk into in a lot of places. You stop the bleeding by normalizing and gathering together the different alerts that are firing and trying to make sense of the chaos. And once you have that, you can start moving into actually creating alerts based on things that people need to wake up for. It's so worth the time. It can be a pain, but you'll thank yourself later. That's it for this week. I've been Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. See you next week.